0: You're listening to a podcast from the College of Arts and Humanities at University College Dublin. In this podcast, an extract from Writing the History of Civil War. This UCD Centre for War Studies seminar gathered some of the leading scholars of civil wars together to discuss their unique approaches to the subject. In this episode, Statis Kalavas, Gladstone Professor of Government at the University of Oxford, talks about violence in civil war, an overview of past research. This seminar is also available as a video on historyhub.ie. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. Thank you very much, Robert. Um, it's a great pleasure to, to be here. I was here um, a few years back, mm-hmm. um, and so Robert asked me to revisit the theme of my past book on the violence of civil wars. So I'm going to give you a, a capsule version of the argument, packaged in a bit perhaps slightly differently from the book. It's very historical, so the idea is to, what I did in the book, try to understand the dynamics of violence in general, even though I use a lot of very specific examples. But right now I'm engaged in one of the projects I've been working is um, a history of civil wars, so to speak, analytical in the sense of trying to understand how civil wars have changed over time, and I'm happy to talk about that and how I see you know, these ideas evolving. So this is... Uh, This book was really about violence and and how could we explain violence in civil war. So that's a very specific aspect of civil war. Um, And one of the initial motivations was the observation that I kept hearing, not just in Greece but in other places, that civil wars were the worst kinds of wars because they were the most violent wars. Uh, And it turns out empirically that's not true. If you look at various dimensions of violence, you have civil wars that are not extremely violent, and you have interstate wars that can be extremely violent. So it doesn't really correspond to, the, to, to reality. However, there is a basis for that perception. It's not an arbitrary perception. In a the sense, there's something specific about violence and civil war that makes people or created in people the sense that they were exceptional in some respects. And I think there were two features that um, were captured by that perception, uh, and I call those features, uh, using stark titles, uh, barbarity, that, that was the, the first kind of, that the idea that somehow uh, violence in civil wars is, is more atrocious than in other settings and the second one is the idea of intimacy, that civil war takes place often between people who know each other, who are neighbors and in a sort of um, metaphorical way they are brothers. Uh, so the idea of uh, uh, fratricide is, is very often used as, as a way to describe this um, this violence. I, and I call that intimacy, the idea that violence is intimate. Now, if we examine those two um, ideas, they're, they're, they have several problems. They're not, they're not as straightforward as we would like them to, to be. The, the first one, the idea of barbarity, is that of excessive violence, of atrocious violence. But if you think about it, what exactly is excessive violence? In fact... Um, excessive or barbaric barbaric violence tends to be very culturally specific um, judgment. And if you think about um, the way we think today about what makes barbaric violence barbaric, very often it has to do with very close contact or, or the use of knives, for example, seems to us to be extremely barbaric, but at the same time, you know, pressing a button and bombing from a very big distance someone else doesn't have the same kind of quality, but these are very culturally embedded kinds of codes. So that cannot really be, in and of itself, the difference. Another way to think about it is the number of victims. And as I said, there is quite a lot of variation. The most common um, idea that people have, especially in the humanitarian world, is the idea that civil wars somehow produce more victimization of civilian populations, non-combatants. That is, civilians are really targeted much more uh, than in other wars. It's a, it's a tricky comparison, uh, also not completely true. Uh, and in fact, if you look at uh, an example that has been used as, as a sort of um, almost um, archetypal example of uh, excessive violence in civil war, it's the war in Bosnia. Uh, it turns out uh, that the early figure of 200,000 dead fatalities was not, was not correct. There is now a data set that recorded all the names Of of the uh, victims, it's about half, and half of them were not civilians. So, even in a very sort of extremely uh, victimizing uh, conflict such as Bosnia, a large proportion of the victims were actually combatants, which tells you that barbarity has to be understood perhaps in a different way. And I think um, it really is captured by intimacy. And again, uh, a lot of the victims of civil wars very often are unknown to each other. They may die in battlefields. They may die from a variety of other things. But um, the fact that people who, are, who know each other very often engage in violence against each other has a particularly transgressive dimension that I think sticks with people, creates a long-term trauma, and is very difficult to deal with. And I think this is where eventually, ultimately, everything that has to do with this exceptional character of civil war violence um, comes back to. So what I I wanted to do in this project was to make sense, to provide this this sort of account of violence that could account for those two dimensions. Um, One way, uh, and people had not really thought in a sort of theoretically autonomous way about violence in civil wars, because most (laughs) of the thinking about civil wars encompasses every aspect. And so what I did was to try to reconstruct four distinct intellectual traditions that we can see emerging time and again, to try to make sense of violence in civil wars. The first one I call Hobbesian tradition. And it's basically the idea that uh, violence is the result of anarchy. And it's very much associated today, for example, with new wars, failed states, the idea that uh, the collapse of state authority opens the door uh, to the true nature of humans, as Hobbes described it. So that's a very popular version. You find it both among scholars, but also in popular discourse, the idea that anarchy produces violence. The second one um, I call it Schmittian tradition from Carl from Schmitt, the, the German um, uh, constitutional scholar, um, Nazi sympathizer, but also very sharp anti-liberal thinker, who also theorized the idea of polarization, which has come back now because of Trump. Um, and the idea here is that You know, what is violence in civil wars? It's just the extreme version of enmity, of hostility. When you have true divisions in a society, it's only natural that they're going to be expressed in a violent way. In fact, the Marxist perception is very close to the Schmittian one, the idea that violence is the process through which societies move towards progress. Uh, And you could say that a lot of the accounts of ethnic conflict today in the past of class conflict, are very much based on the idea of polarization. So the idea of ancient hatreds. You have different groups in society. They dislike each other. They hate each other. And therefore, when a civil war happens, they turn against each other. So that's, that's a fundamental idea here. The third tradition may be described as Foucauldian tradition from Michel Foucauld, the French thinker who theorized power. And, and the idea here is that violence is very often so extreme because there is a particularly, particular transgression from attacking power, and therefore the state reacts in a way that's extreme. Um, and um, the, if, you, if you look at a lot of the both the, the descriptions and also the more theoretical treatments, say, of post-September 11 uh, reactions, the um, return of torture, etc., that embodies very much this idea that... Um, what really makes civil wars of violence is the fact that the authority is challenged in a way that is, is not really permitted, and, and therefore the reaction has to be exceptional. Uh, it's also associated, again, you could say, with meat and, and the idea of the state of emergency. Uh, and finally, the last tradition, uh, I call Clausewitzian tradition, because in a sense it specifies, it posits, uh, that violence in civil wars takes its particular features because it's an outgrowth Uh, Of the military characteristics of the conflict. It's not really about ideology. It's not about uh, the state or the opposition. It's not about anarchy. It's about the military dimension of the conflict. And you can think about the descriptions of guerrilla war as dirty wars very much coming out of that tradition. Now, if you think about all of those four approaches, they all have merits. They all capture a part of reality. And they all have problems. For example, if you think about the Hobbesian tradition, very often what happens in civil wars is not the absence of authority, but the proliferation of authorities. And uh, it's not true to say that uh, societies where the state has collapsed, like Somalia, are ungoverned societies. They're rather governed by other types of actors. In the Schmittian tradition, what's very interesting, I'm going to return to that, is the fact um, that has been recorded by many students, for example, of ethnic conflict, anthropologists and others uh, of how the war itself creates polarization, which then a lot of other observers, journalists, etc., then uh, go back and, in a sense, argue was the cause of the conflict in the first place. Uh, There's a very interesting debate, for example, about the development of Sunni-Shia violence in Iraq and how that was the result of the U.S. invasion, uh, not of the result of ancient hatreds. The Foucauldian tradition also, in a sense, disregards the fact that violence very often comes from non-state actors, not just the state, very much like the Hobbesian version sees the uh, violence as the result of anarchy. And the Clausewitzian um, version was always very misspec- you know, underspecified. People would just mention that there's something about war that leads to these forms of violence, but they would never really trace it. So in my work, I thought, perhaps being a political scientist as well, that I would start from the last one. I would take the Clausewitzian tradition. And in fact, if you look at political science approaches to violence in civil war, they tend to be very much motivated by this last tradition. And there are three versions of that. Two bad and one good. <laughs> <laughs> the first one uh, is a sort of naive version, which basically posits, and there are a number of works and papers in that direction, that what happens in civil wars is you have two actors. You have the state and the opposition and they fight, and violence is used to signal capacity, power, Uh, so you kill a lot of people to say, to tell the the people the state is not able to protect you, is to send a signal to the state or to the rebels. That's the idea. The second version is a Hobbesian version of of the Clausewitzian tradition, which is basically it's not anarchy in society, but what happens, especially among uh, armed actors in civil wars, is that they are internally fragmented and divided. They cannot enforce discipline. So you have armed actors where basically the commanders uh, unleash their troops, who then gratuitously kill and maim population. So a lot of the work that has been done in that tradition emphasizes is, is very much inspired by what happened in places like Liberia, Sierra Leone, etc. So the abductions by children, sexual violence. So it's the result of indiscipline. It's a sort of anarchy within military structures. My approach is more complicated. Uh, it's triadic. And so what I argue is that uh, civil wars are places in which you have armed actors competing against each other, but they also need to both acquire the loyalty and threaten uh, the civilian population in order to make sure they only collaborate with them and not with the other side. So it's a bit like a triangle. You have two ideally, two armed actors and the population, and it's a game that takes place among those three. Uh, And I specify in the book a very specific type of um, institutional environment, guerrilla or irregular war, and what is uh, a distinct uh, assumption about that is that the form and the needs of guerrilla war very often um, create incentives for the deployment of the violence that we observe in these kinds of situations, um, and especially coercive violence. The idea of using violence in order to get people to behave in ways you want them behave so it's not about extermination as in genocide but about controlling people Um, and there is a sort of what complicates the picture is that there is a bilateral uh, situation or structure in which individuals uh, can leave one side and go to the other side I'm going to complete fairly quickly as a result what you have in these kinds of situations is informational asymmetries that is The sides that fight want to identify who is working for the other side, but they cannot really tell who's working for the other side, and they press civilians to get that information out of them, and that leads to a a number of forms of violence, uh, uh, which can be indiscriminate if people are targeted on the basis of some general characteristic, their ethnicity, or it can be selective if people are um, targeted because some information came out about them. and selective violence is very common, even though it's much less visible, because people get targeted individually, not as large groups. But eventually, that adds up uh, to very large numbers. And that's my favorite picture uh, of this type of violence, in which 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 comes from uh, Greece's German occupation in 1944. And you see, in fact, the uh, the, the informer, the figure of the hooded informer who provides. Uh, these um, the, uh, armed men with local information about who is who. So the idea is not to execute everyone, but select those who are deemed to be the most dangerous people. So that's, that's the, uh, the idea here. And, that's, and you can see the, the modern version of that from Iraq, one of the few pictures of selection process by local hooded figures. Uh, but it's a very common occurrence in accounts and narratives of many civil wars that take the form of guerrilla war. I'm going to conclude with four implications from this account, which I think are worth pursuing and discussing. The first one is that in these kinds of environments, violence is often produced jointly. What do I mean jointly? It's because armed actors need information from civilians. They cannot often act without the assistance of civilians. So violence is a process that connects people with weapons with people (coughs) with information, And this information is local information. And so that suggests that unlike what is often argued in situations of civil wars, civilians often do have agency. And one type of agency they have is the capacity to harm others. This is the intimate part of violence. They don't do it directly. They do it by providing information. That's the common process through which individuals harm people they dislike. And that creates a situation in which also The boundary between perpetrators uh, and victims can be blurred because very often uh, the victims can become perpetrators. And of course, the perpetrators can be victimized in the course of a conflict. It has a lot of implications about how humanitarian thinking operates because very often it places a very strong boundary between non combatants and combatants, civilians who are presumed to be innocent and fighters who are presumed to be guilty. In fact, I argue the boundary is very blurred, and that has a lot of normative implications as well. The second uh, implication is that violence in civil wars is often privatized in the sense that the process of providing information opens the door to what is known as moral hazard. Uh, People use the opportunity to denounce others in order to settle local and personal accounts, which is a lot of what we read in... um, ethnographic descriptions uh, or micro-historical micro descriptions of civil wars, how civil wars, in a sense, become a war of all against all, but in the very localized sense of people who have grudges against each other using uh, that opportunity. And in that sense, you could say that civil war violence is not an instance of polarization, but of privatization of violence, exactly the opposite than you know someone like Schmidt would, would believe. And it's the flip side of ideological polarization and also the dark side of social capital. Why? Because places that have a lot of interaction between people are going to be the places in which people also dislike each other very much and use the opportunity to go against each other. So small villages, for example, tend to be worse places. Um, in, uh, In the Soviet Union during the Stalinist era, a lot of denunciations came from people who lived in communal apartments because they just hated each other living in a small space. The third implication is that one of the things that always struck me when I was studying these issues, to the extent to which what was going on on the ground often did not fit with the issues that were composing what we may describe as the master cleavage. So you may have a war between, say, leftists and rightists or uh, Serbs and and, and Croats, but in fact very often the violence on the ground seemed to follow uh, the, the boundaries of families, of clans, of competing villages, uh, and, and that was always very, very uh, puzzling. And, and, and people have a very hard time understanding that, and there is always a tendency to impute to every micro action motivations that come from the master cleavage, and in a sense, uh, mislead us. But by the same ac- account, what we observe is th- when a war continues, violence itself creates identities in a sort of endogenous way. It transforms how people think of themselves. So you could argue that in Iraq, the Sunni Shia dimension didn't have a violent or a very intense kind of division. A lot of the killing was very personalistic. But as a result of what went on, new identities emerged that were, in a sense, infused with the legacy of violence. And there is quite a lot of work in political science now trying to trace the legacies of violence over time and how they shape identities, how they shape, for example, voting behavior. And in Ireland, of course, that's something that is quite uh, easy to make, to make sense. So these are the four implications, uh, and I think they constitute the basis for a fruitful discussion. Uh, I, I would argue that even though they take different forms in different civil wars, you can observe those patterns in many different civil wars across time and space. Thanks, Sorry, very much. <laughs> Thanks very much, for this. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the College of Arts and Humanities at University College Dublin. The Writing the History of Civil War seminar is also available as a video on historyhub.ie.